Tēnā koea, nō mai, haere mai. My name is Will Appleby and you're listening to Animal Matters. Fish were front and centre last week with the release of Compassion in World Farming's explosive report on salmon farming in Scotland. The undercover investigation revealed fish suffering on an industry-wide scale. And the government has deferred imposing almost all of its proposed winter grazing regulations for a year, a move that's been met with scorn from environmentalists and animal advocates. Once again, industry lobbying has pressured the government to backtrack on regulation. Animal Matters is brought to you by Safe for Animals. We release new episodes every week, so make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whatever your favourite podcast platform is. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at safe.org.nz forward slash animal matters. Winter grazing, a practice where livestock are strip-fed crop, often in extremely muddy conditions, has come under increased scrutiny in recent years. In 2019, winter grazing hit the headlines when environmentalist Angus Robson went public with his campaign to expose what had been happening on farms across the country. The photos and videos of cows standing and giving birth in muddy paddocks prompted Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor to launch a winter grazing task force. The Agriculture Minister and David Parker, the Environment Minister, proposed a suite of new rules to improve winter grazing practices, which agriculture lobbyists decried as unworkable. They protested, and the government's latest announcement indicates that the lobbyists have won. Parker and O'Connor announced recently that they would allow the industry to self-regulate for the next year, allowing farmers to develop their own so-called modules to manage their winter grazing practices. In a statement, Parker said the deferment will allow an intensive winter grazing farm plan module to be developed, tested and deployed, ready for formal incorporation into wider certified freshwater farm plans in 2022. Not everyone is happy about this though. In fact, many people are deeply unhappy about this. Greenpeace senior campaigner Steve Abel said the government had been owned by Big Dairy, calling the decision pathetic. SAFE CEO Deborah Ashton questioned what the government would do to ensure the welfare of animals in the interim. Green MP Eugenie Sage said it's a bad outcome for rivers and animal welfare. It's not a good look for a government that wants to be seen to be taking environmental and climate issues seriously. And while animal welfare isn't a major plank of the Labour Party's policy programme, Mika Whaiteri, who's the minister responsible for animal welfare, recently said that she viewed animal welfare as a key government priority. Interestingly, it was put to Minister Parker in an interview recently how he would measure farmers' success over the next 12 months and whether he would use, quote, images from SAFE to judge winter grazing practices. He said he wouldn't be relying on photos from SAFE but would rely on the Southland Regional Council. It's not like SAFE has a roaming band of photographers driving around Southland looking for poor winter grazing practices, although that wouldn't be such a bad idea. Many of the photos SAFE receives are sent to us by members of the public, frustrated at the lack of response from MPI and regional councils. So, newsflash for David Parker, it doesn't matter if the photos are from us. If there's evidence of poor winter grazing practices, you'll have to deal with it regardless of whether or not they're publicised by SAFE. Probably the most entertaining response was from Martin Bradbury, a left-wing commentator who frequently writes for the Daily Blog. 
Does Dairy NZ have David Parker's pets held hostage? Are they blackmailing Damien O'Connor with compromising photos? The power and influence of Big Dairy to continue deciding what regulations they will or won't agree to is breathtaking for a sunset industry that will be obliterated when synthetic milk and meat are cheap enough. The risks of leaving industry to self-regulate are well known, and nowhere is that more obvious than in the fishing industry. Commercial fishing has come under tremendous pressure in recent years due to overfishing and the negative impacts fishing practices have on native wildlife. Now, conservationists are calling for mandatory measures to protect the overfishing of Tarakahi. This came after the fishing industry admitted to breaking its promise to follow voluntary restrictions. Forest and Bird said last week that Tarakahi have been fished down to 15% of their original levels well below the 40% minimum level considered safe from overfishing. In 2019, Stuart Nash, the fisheries minister at the time, decided to take a phased approach to rebuild the Tarakahi population, making an initial 20% cut to commercial fishing quotas, but then pulled it back to a 10% reduction instead. But stuff is now reported. In a briefing to Fisheries Minister David Parker, Fisheries Inshore Chairman Laws Lawson admitted fishing boats were failing to keep out of the areas they promised not to fish, putting juvenile tarakahi at risk. Obviously, self-regulation in the fishing industry isn't working, and the government has to step in. But does the government even know where to start? According to a new report, possibly not. A report titled The Future of Commercial Fishing in Aotearoa, New Zealand, was prepared by the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor, Professor Dame Juliant Gerard. It suggested more needs to be done to reduce gaps in data and knowledge, noting that while we have a lot of data about the ocean, in many ways we also know very little. Dr Michael Plank, a professor at the University of Canterbury, who was on the panel responsible for preparing the report, said the findings stressed the importance of taking a holistic view of the ocean. He said one of the things the report identifies is the need to move towards managing ecosystems as a whole, rather than managing individual species. That would mean a huge departure from the fish quota management system, which is the cornerstone of New Zealand's fisheries management. Under the QMS, a yearly catch limit is set for every species of fish, shellfish and seaweed from a particular area. This would need considerable reform. A solution to overfishing that's often proposed by the fishing industry is fish farming, but an investigation of salmon farming in Scotland released last week paints a pretty bleak picture for farmed fish as well. Footage of Compassion and World Farming's undercover investigation and an accompanying report released on Wednesday uncovered the grim reality for many fish raised in Scotland's salmon farming industry. Their findings were released by a global network of 40 NGOs in over 30 countries, including SAFE in New Zealand. Scotland is the third largest producer of farmed Atlantic salmon worldwide and exports fish to over 50 countries. The industry produced about 38 million fish in 2019, and the Scottish Government is planning to allow massive industry expansion by 2030. Over 22 Scottish farms were investigated between September and November 2020, using drone technology and underwater divers. On several farms, investigators found severe sea lice infestations and high levels of mortalities. As many as a quarter of the fish die before they make it to slaughter. The investigators also found fish crammed in barren underwater cages. 
Salmon are natural migrators, but in fish farming systems, they have nothing to do but swim aimlessly in cramped conditions for up to two years. Compassion and World Farming are now calling for a moratorium on the expansion of Scottish salmon farming with a view to phasing out intensive salmon farming. So how does New Zealand salmon farming compare? Well, in short, we just don't know. New Zealand mostly farms king salmon, not Atlantic salmon. But the investigation raises questions about how salmon are farmed in New Zealand. Broadly speaking, we farm salmon in very similar ways. And now that we know what's happening in Scotland, there are justifiable concerns for salmon farmed in New Zealand. The behavioural needs of salmon are not met by the salmon farming industry in New Zealand, which is a requirement under the Animal Welfare Act. There's also currently no code of welfare for fish farmed in New Zealand. The New Zealand government and its advisors at the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee are currently developing a code of welfare for farmed fish, although it could be up to three years until it's completed. NARWAC's codes of welfare have a poor track record. We saw this last year with the High Court deeming the pig code of welfare invalid. Many of the codes don't ensure that the physical health and behavioural needs of animals are met. Only time will tell. But it's crucial that we understand the current situation for salmon raised in New Zealand and that NAWAC keeps the welfare of these animals front and centre when developing the new code of welfare. Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, Matewa.